Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I am super excited about today's episode. Today, I'm having a conversation with my dear friend, Amanda Steinberg. Amanda is, she's she's amazing. <laughs> she's one of the smartest people I know, literally. Uh, she's founded multiple businesses in finance, media, and politics. In 2009, she founded Daily Worth, which was a startup focused on women's financial independence, and she grew its audience and its email list to 1.2 million email subscribers. After Daily Worth was acquired, she moved into politics as the lead digital fundraiser for Marianne Williamson for president. Literally, she was on Marianne Williamson's uh, campaign team, <laughs> working closely with her. How cool is that? Today, she's the co-founder of Hire You, a digital training company for social impact entrepreneurs. She lives in Philadelphia with her partner, Jordan, who you'll hear from in two weeks, two children, two stepchildren, and two large Maine Coon cats. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have Amanda on the podcast was to really talk about uh, women and money. Uh, Amanda also wrote a book called Worth It, Your Life, Your Money, Your Terms. And it's a great book. Highly recommend it. I read it years and years ago. Uh, it really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff about the way the financial sector is just you know, run by men, for men, <laughs> about men. I think one of the, I know, that one of the missions of Daily Worth, which was her startup, was about sort of demystifying the financial sector for women. And it was it was a really fabulous, it was a newsletter, basically. You got an awesome um, information in your inbox every day about money. I, the reason, obviously, I wanted to talk to Amanda about women and money is because so many of you struggle in this area. So many of you are so are disempowered. You may be being financially abused. Uh, maybe you're not, but so many of us are disempowered financially. I mean, I am. This is something I struggle with in my own life always. You know, we've all got money stories, we've got money histories and all that stuff. And it's really important for us to untangle it. So uh, I called uh, one of the people that has been working pretty tirelessly in this area. And from a feminist perspective, again, is one of the smartest people I know. So without further ado, here's my dear friend, Amanda Steinberg. Amanda Steinberg. This is so exciting. <laughs> this is a long time coming. <laughs> this is a long time coming. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to us today about women's financial empowerment. This is your wheelhouse. You're like 
This is my whole life. This is your whole life. So, okay. So let's start with how you got into this world and the daily worth and like all of the, all of the things that you have started around this and your book, all of it. All of it. So yeah, I mean, the journey really started when my parents separated and divorced when I was probably three years old. And, you know, my mom, she was just terrified. She had, it was beyond her wildest imagination that she would ever get divorced. And she spent about 10 years in a glaze mm. because yes, it looked like financial stress on the surface, but really at her core, it was about her identity mm. as a woman and who she was supposed to be and how her life had turned out and how stunned she was. And I remember my financial journey started probably around the age of five or six. I remember so vividly when she grabbed me by my scrawny little biceps and said, never depend on anyone. And it was like this, that was how it was so clear. She was like, I never want you to end up in the position I am in where I feel completely powerless. And so my whole, and so I became this very ambitious, determined kid who really wanted to, uh, you know, I was working and hustling since I was 12, 13 years old. And then what happened was I, I got married. I had, and I did all these things in a really short period of time. I started a company. I bought a big house. I did like all these things. I was like throwing money at the stock market. And I remember one day I got a $90,000 tax bill because my business, my, my software company had grown so big, so fast. And mm. I was having babies and all this. That's stuff. a big tax bill. And I was like, Wait <laughs> that just a gave I have done everything right, including being determined to be financially independent from a young age. And I'm now $90,000 in debt. And, you know, that was, it was a really, it was a, it was a, it was a crippling kind of on the floor moment for sure, which I had paid off by the way, it is possible takes many, many years, but it happens. So the, um, the, what I, what I started to awaken to at that point was there's something going on with me that is prohibiting me from creating financial stability for myself. And so I went to take a, an on, Oh, not an online. It was an in-person workshop. I remember I was six months pregnant with my second child. I'm like waddling onto the train from to New York, from Philadelphia, where I live. And I went to this workshop led by two women. One woman is named Leah Andres and the other is named Raw Goddess. And when I walked out of that workshop, I realized it was like a bat hit me over the head. <laughs> I realized I've been telling myself a story about money, which is that I'm a really high earner, which I was at the time. And I'm not a good saver, but I make so much money that one day I'll have enough. Right. Because if you don't save it, you're never going to have it. <laughs> and it was that, yeah. it was the, that was the story I tell myself. I'm a high earner. I'm not a saver, but I make so much money. So one day I'll have enough, which really makes no sense whatsoever. Cause it's very easy to spend everything that you have. But the, the thing, the big awakening was that the fact that I was telling myself over and over again, that I was, that I was not a saver was the problem. And so what I came out of that workshop in discovery was I am now a saver. I have to become someone who is a saver. And it's that transformational process that you go through that enables you to, it's hard because you have to like deconstruct who you think you are and you have to become someone who you never thought you were. That's the beginning of my, that's the summary of my financial journey. And it was from that workshop that I launched a platform for women around money called dailyworth.com, which I grew to over a million women um, and sold to Jean Chatsky in 2017. That's, it's, it's amazing. And part of the, the purpose, right, of the Daily Worth was helping women understand 
financial markets and finances in because it's all it's so much of it is in sort of like male jargon or like confusing jargon that doesn't have to be confusing but like right like well it's actually worse than that it's not just the jargon because you can learn jargony things it's really that um our society has socially conditioned us to think that money Mm. is gendered that men are more competent when it comes to matters of money that women are somehow because we're quote unquote, nurturing or caretaking or et cetera, et cetera, not strong enough to handle matters of money. But really, I think that's just pure sexism, the sexism that's in our society that keeps women in this places where we think we're inherently incapable and that it should be someone else's job. And even worse than that, if we become someone who is good with money, that we're somehow less feminine Mm. and less lovable. Yeah. Let's talk about money stories, because I mean, there's so much more that I want to come back to, but Let's talk about money stories, right? Because we all have them. And I think one of the Mm -hmm. sort of the beginning of women becoming empowered around money, which is really what this conversation is about and what we really want to leave people with, but is about our stories and about how, and and I think Mm -hmm. that money is gendered is a sort of a collective story, right? We have collective stories and then we have individual stories, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, we have we have social stories, like collective stories, like money is not a woman's job. I remember when I was raising venture capital for Daily Worth, and I was pitching all these mostly male VCs, they would say things to me like, don't you just want to be taken care of? Or women aren't interested in money. My wife just wants to spend my money. Like this was the norm, not the exception, <sighs> was there was literally this lack of Uh, understanding among a very male financial services community that why would we even create services for women because they shouldn't even want to do it. (laughs) Right. Yes. Right. Why would you want to create financial services for, and, and of course, underpinning all of that is patriarchy and patriarchal systems of oppression, because if we become educated around money, if we own our financial power and our financial worth, then the entire system gets disrupted. And that's yeah. not, that's not okay. Right. <laughs> Little lady. Yeah, and again, it's just like my mom, you know, standing there and the, with her glazed eyes when I was a kid, same, same thing for the men on the other side of this is if we have to break down this story that we have, then we don't know who we are. Like, I don't know. It, it just like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like all the ways in which I justify who I am and think about what makes me strong and what makes me a provider and what makes me, you know, good at my job evaporates when you start to challenge these notions. And that's what daily worth was about, was about challenging those notions, but more so for women in our individual stories, for example, I'm out of control or whatever, or I'm trying to think of some other good ones. There will never be mm-hmm. enough or saving money is selfish. Mm-hmm. That's a huge one. Yeah. And I had one because because I grew up in New York City <laughs> where the idea uh, sort of the the hmm, the myth of wealth, like the most wealthy person in New York City when I was growing up was Donald Trump. So for me, wealth was there was something really gross about it. There was something that didn't didn't align with my values, right? So the pursuit of wealth meant that I would become something like that. And this was long before that man was president. <laughs> Let me just say, right? So for me, it was like, 
wealth was sort of disgusting and you don't want to aspire to such a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that, that's a huge, and there's so many different variations on that. It's like, I, res, I, people who made money did it by exploiting other people. And I don't want to be right. that person. Yes. And I don't want to be someone who devalues the things that matter in life, love, relationships, connection, et cetera. And if I focus too much on money or I become someone who cares about money, it means I'm deprioritizing those other things yes. that matter to me. Yes. Here's my, here's my favorite part about it is, is um, women have been socially conditioned for centuries, millennia to be the nurturing caretaking component so I call it's what my mother, I call, you know, the good girl mentality, be a good girl, you know, don't, don't be a lady, et cetera, et cetera. But what's happened, especially, you know, in the last, let's call it 20, 30 years is that women have, have gone into the workforce at the levels at which we have. And there's this new mentality, which I call the boss lady mm-hmm. mentality. So there's the good girl and the boss lady where most women are these days is they're stuck between the two. And that's where all the noise in our heads come from. One voice in our head is the good girl going, be feminine, be selfless, take care of others. That's your job. That's how you're wired. And the other side, it's like, be a boss, be an entrepreneur, be powerful, be empowered, et cetera. And those, the, when it comes to money, those two voices, they hit up against each other as exact opposites. And that's why women get totally emotional and break down around the subject because you don't know which voice you're supposed Mm, to be listening to. So true. It's so true. And then when women are assertive, they are considered aggressive. They're bitches, right? So any, so the pursuit, sort of the- Hysterical, mm -hmm, crazy. mm -hmm, Right. 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 Gross. So what, so what, like, what's your vision for women right now? Like from where we are now, because I do feel like we're at some, we're at multiple tipping points, I think, especially when it comes to patriarchy and like in any system, when the system is about to implode, it rises up and it gets louder and it starts screaming for its power, right? It wouldn't scream for power if it wasn't threatened. So- for sure. What is your vision for women as this, as we might be changing these systems? Well, it's not only my vision for women, but it's also my vision for men. I'm so grateful that my partner, my love partner, Jordan Shapiro is just publishing a book called how to be a feminist dad. I'm so glad. Oh my God. It is so good. And it's really a vision for both genders where we are liberated from these preconceived notions of who we are supposed to be. And and look at all of the science that shows that all of this myth in our culture about men are providers and women are caretakers and all that stuff is not scientific. You can just as easily prove mm-hmm. the other side as, as whatever those right. arguments are. And so my vision is that we, we start to understand more about gender essentialism and neurosexism. And I have all these fancy words, but essentially that means that no matter what your sexual anatomy happens to be, has nothing to do with your personality, your character traits, or who you can and want to be in the world. And that we are, and I I really see this in our children, the next generation, where we're much more liberated from thinking that we have to fit any sort of preconceived roles and that we're finding partners and life partners where we're able to figure out what those roles are based on what our strengths are and has nothing to do with our Mm, gender. So true. Amen. I'm so glad Jordan's writing that book. 
Oh my God, that man. I love that man. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting because I'm, I'm writing my book too, and I've just been writing the chapter on feminism, sort of feminism 101, right? And that feminism is not anti-male. In fact, it is so pro-male, right? It like, men aren't happy either. <laughs> this system does not, while it may support totally. their power and dominance and control, it's actually not supporting them emotionally and psychologically. And in fact, it's killing them, right? They, men die at a, at a much younger age than we do. And they're, the stress levels. And they don't know who to be. They're lost. They're totally confused because they feel like they're somehow emasculated or you know, it's the identity loss thing. It's, right. That's where everyone is right now is really confused about how to navigate this gender. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not, and it's not good for them either. So when we, you know, for those of us who want to smash the patriarchy, we do so for it. We want to do so for everyone. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. hundred yeah. percent. So, yeah. so what advice, what financial advice would you give women right now going through divorce And they're like, you know, maybe they've never been in, you know, in charge of their money. They don't know anything about what's going on with their finances. What what, what do you tell them? First of all, it's not your fault. You were socially conditioned to think that you're bad with money. And that is how everyone got to continuously take advantage (laughs) of you for most of your life. And honestly, how you also got rewarded and praised for being Mm -hmm. a good girl in whatever form that was. So don't beat yourself up too much about it. It's like a, it's a pervasive issue among women where you're completely blindsided by your life. And then suddenly you have to become a financial expert because you're responsible for your life. So just have some patience with yourself and realize that you actually did, you did life, right. It's not like you did life wrong. You bid, you were, you became who you were told you were supposed to be. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is the reason I launched daily worth and called it daily worth because I realized that because women are conditioned to be selfless and take care of others, we really struggle to save money and organize our money because that is seen as selfish. And so what you have to do, the the next step is you really have to take a look at how you value yourself and work with Kate on how you build self-worth, how you learn how to value yourself because you are precious and you are valuable and you, it's going to be really hard to deal with money until you realize that you are valuable and you are worthy of Mm. having that money. So that's why I call it daily worth because I wanted to connect women's self-worth to their net worth because once you value yourself, you're investing in yourself, et cetera. The next is when it comes to saving money, which is really just the hardest thing these days, especially when you've got mortgages and kids and blah, 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 is the, you want to develop yourself into someone who can deposit savings once you get to that point, once all your bills are paid and not spend it or not give it away. The, the, the result of having low self-worth around areas of money is that even when you have a financial success, like you get a settlement, you eliminate it from your bank as quickly as possible because you feel like you've become that person you never wanted mm-hmm. to be. So you have to develop a muscle and a, a, a discipline to sit, to be able to have money or else, even if you do everything right, you're still going to sabotage it unconsciously. Yes. Yes, I can confirm that. That was a huge part of my money story was was that that self-worth piece and that every time I got money I would get I would get rid of it as quickly as possible. I would either buy things or, you know, I would spend it in some in some way. Or even like trying to pay off your credit cards too fast. Right. Like if you pay off your credit cards, if you just pay the minimum on your credit card, you're basically just paying 
interest and it's just going to continue to grow. It's going to take you forever. If you pay double the amount of the minimum, so let's say you owe $10,000 and the minimum is 500 bucks. If you just pay 500 bucks, that 10,000 is never going to go down. If you pay a thousand, it actually collapses to like three years. And so when you have cash, rather than like, we think debt is a disease, pay it off methodically. Don't try not to accrue new debt, but don't throw all of your money at your debt because then you're still just exposed to more debt because you still have exactly, cash. exactly. I did that. <laughs> I did that a couple of times. I mean, I I still do these things sometimes. Like I sometimes have to read my own book. I swear to God, I've reread it to myself like three times. Uh, like because like I we these are really unconscious, deeply ingrained behaviors, and the social order is such that we are conditioned to take care of everyone else and not ourselves, and it's like it's hard to, to change these core behaviors because they really threaten big, deep fears of like, will I be lovable? Am I a good person? Am I who I want to be? It's so interesting being a single person, right? I've, I've noticed a couple of like, there's two different roles that I feel that I have to quote play right in the, in the dating landscape is either I'm not rich enough, <laughs> right? I'm not, I'm not successful enough, so I can't play with the bi- in the big leagues, whatever the fuck that means. And, and then on the on the flip side is that I'm I'm too successful, and men won't want to date me because I run my own business and I have a house and like all of all of, not that I own my house by the way <laughs> I rent it, but it's a nice house. And and so I'm always like, oh, I'm not enough of this, or I'm too much of that, and it's like. And those are my stories, right? That like crop up and I have to sort of talk Mm -hmm. myself out of and be like, you, (laughs) you are exactly who you are and no matter what is fine. So uh, let's, I want to talk about your book because you also use the word worth in your book, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a great play on words too, but your book is called worth it. And Mm-hmm. It's a great book. One of the, and like, I don't even, I kind of read it so long ago, Amanda. I realized like how long it's been since I read your book. But I remember in the beginning, there's a story about a woman who I feel like you even introduced me to at some point who had been like super financially successful, right? She was like in finance, right? And then she got mm-hmm. married and she sort of abdicated all of her financial responsibility. Yeah. Steph right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Steph yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she, when she got divorced, she realized that her husband had basically like decimated all of their financial funds. Right. Yes. And so, I mean, you think you tell that story as sort of this cautionary tale and as an example of the ways that women abdicate their responsibility, right. Even powerful, financially powerful, savvy, savvy women who quote, know better do this. Like abdicate Mm -hmm. this responsibility. This is how powerful our social narrative is. It's way more powerful than our individual will. I think sometimes it's a force to fight. It is just society tells you things about who you're supposed to be and how you're. And look, if you're, if you have a family with children, you can't do everything all the time. Like it makes sense to have role distribution, Uh but what pisses me off to no end the countless women who tell me that they're like, I asked my husband to show me our portfolio. I asked him to explain our taxes. And he said to me, don't bother. You wouldn't understand it anyway. Do you know how many times a week I still hear this from people? That's, that's, I'm sure many of you listening to this, get that messaging as well. It is utter bullshit. You have to. And I think the point here, Kate is you can't 
not know what's going on with your long-term financial security because yes, there are countless examples of, um, you know, I think of Barbara Stanley Hewson. She was the um, daughter of the founder of H&R Block. Her first husband gambled, not only gambled away her entire inheritance, but left the country and her with a million dollar tax bill because she had to pay taxes on what he had gambled away. And she was able to reach a settlement and she thought, you know, but that was why she became a much earlier pioneer in the women in money space was because it's, you did, you just don't know people are weird and we all have kind of our hidden hundred percent. Yeah. And, no, yeah. I have a, I know somebody who's a, a friend, she was going through a divorce and as she was going through, and she had been again, like in financial services, like super savvy, totally, you know, aware and all of that. And her, and she just, but in their division, in their role division, in their marriage, he took care of the money. And it turned when they start, when they got divorced, it turned out that he had spent like $30,000 on his mistress and he had, you know, basically wiped them out in all sorts mm-hmm. of, with all sorts of things that like, she didn't know was happening. Right. And, and so while yes, the role di- there is, there should be role distribution, but there should not be financial cover-ups, <laughs> right. Or ignorance. Right. Right. Just because it's your job, maybe to do the shopping, it doesn't mean that the other partner is incapable of shopping, or you wouldn't tell them that they can't go to the grocery store because they wouldn't know what to do there. Right. <laughs> like you, it's not exclusive. Right. Correct. My friend, Michelle Smith, who's a financial advisor on Wall Street for high net worth divorced women, the stories she tells me about going through divorce where husbands will intentionally try and gamble away their money just so that the wife can't have it. You know, really vindictive stuff that she is basically had to build a whole legal arm and an investigative arm just to stop the sabotage because people are so angry. And because women have had been in what we call a money coma, not my job. I'm bad at it. I can't understand it. I don't have time to do it, et cetera, et cetera. It's um, you really have to make sure that even if you're going, I know this is too late for some of us. And I don't mean to laugh. That was a nervous laugh. It's for anybody else listening or for our daughters or for our sisters, et cetera. There's, there's this whole layer of it's a man's job. Men think it's their job. Women don't think it's their job. Women think they're incapable of it. Women have think they're supposed to be selfless. That just basically sets us up to be completely screwed if someone, if that, if life doesn't go the way we want it to. And in her book, The Feminine Mistake, right? Leslie Bennett talks about like really the, the, I think you introduced me to this book, right? I know it was so long ago. (laughs) No, I love it because actually Leslie, Steph, and I used to have these epic dinners. And I was just thinking back to having dinner with the two of them. We became like a trio. Yeah. Oh, sweet. So I'm bringing in all your people. So, Mm -hmm. but in her book, she talks about the the financial, I mean, she really talks about the feminine mistake being abdicating responsibility and not just abdicating responsibility from understanding and knowing what's going on with your finances, but actually quitting work and, and not, and choosing to be a stay-at-home parent where you now are financially responsible to another person and the, the devastating financial impact of that, that goes on for decades, Mm -hmm. decades, decades. Yeah. Can you talk to that about that a little bit? Yeah. And and for, for whatever reason, it also reminds me of some men that I know who inherited a lot of money and then made really bad financial decisions. And at the age of like 40 or 50 are suddenly broke and never developed 
you know, a skill set to be able to earn income. Yeah, it's a look, we're, we're fighting against a cultural, a very strong cultural narrative that does not want women to be independent. And that's just the, and there's, it just rears its ugly head in like 80 different ways. And we have to fight it uh, as best we can for ourselves and for our daughters and et cetera. I mean, like catch yourself. I even see this doing with my own son and my own daughter unconsciously is thinking that my, my daughter's future lies more in, you know, I just like these thoughts pop into my head and I go, Oh my God, there it is. It's our, it's still living through me. So I don't know. I'm rambling a bit right now, but no, 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 you're um, not. You're perfect. No, but it's true, right? Like we are so, we're so, and especially us, like Gen X, like we're in, we're in this, like, you know, we're sort of, but we're the first, I think we're the first generation that's, that's, well, we're not the first generation, but I think we're, we're sloughing it off as best we can. We're the first generation where the majority of adult women are single, not married. I don't know if you know Mm. that. That just happened pretty recently. 51% of women are not married. So we're, and it's trending in that direction. There's more and more, and that doesn't mean we're not in like, relationships or what have you, but we are not legally married. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's also was a poll recently, right? That women in their sixties are like, hell no. <laughs> and the men are like, what? Right. Cause it works for them. And we know those of us who have been married, we, c- we know it doesn't work. It doesn't work for us. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you the best story? I, I want to tell a really big story of optimism for everyone here. Yay. Do it. Okay. Yes. So yes. when I was married to my, I'm divorced, by the way, we didn't even get to that part where mm-hmm. I basically recreated my mother's life in my own life. And I'm like, what How did, What the hell was I, did I do? And so I, I constructed this life with house kids and the whole thing, because I thought it's what I wanted. But the truth is I'm a, I'm an independent minded, rebellious person because I was raised by a single mom who like shaped me that way. And, um, I realized into my marriage that like we, we were both miserable, me and my ex-husband, he wanted a wife and I didn't want to be a wife. It turns out. So I remember it was really, really, really painful. I'm he, um, I was leaving our house to go buy a car because I, he owned both cars. I remember I was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. Do you know this story, Kate? I don't think so. I'm so excited to tell this to you. I'm sobbing. I pull out of my driveway and I'm, I, I start screaming in my car. I'm never going to be with anyone again. I'm just not the, made for relationships. I'm, I do know this story. <laughs> I am not going to, um, you know, I'll have lovers and I'll have boyfriends and stuff, but I'm never getting married again. I'm never, no, no, no. And I'm like in this rage and I pull up to the traffic light and I look out my window and out my window is my best friend from when I was 11 years old, doctor, now doctor, Mr. Jordan Shapiro. And he was like, Amanda, you know, it's been 20 years. Jordan. And he's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. He goes, well, do you want to get together and have a beer too early in the day and talk about it? And I was like, yes, I definitely do. And he and I have been together ever since. <laughs> so you did the, reason why, the reason why we're together is he said, I love you completely and I will never get in your way. And he, I'm in a relationship now for 10 years we lived independently until the pandemic. That was when we finally moved in together. I don't even know if you know, we, we haven't been super public about it because it hurts our brand. I'm kidding. I, know. I didn't and, know, but I think you said something about it. And I was like, wait, what? When did they do that? Yeah, <laughs> the people, And we loved our whole relationship is designed for the full person to emerge. And he actually, because he just, he's a philosophy college professor and just wrote a book on feminism. So he literally has trained our three teenage boy sons to like identify misogyny everywhere it exists in our household. 
He does all the cooking and the cleaning because I suck at it. And he used to run, um, run restaurants. And I'm in a relationship now that is totally feminist. And it is so great. And he's happier and I'm happier. And there, I could just, we could do a whole podcast on this topic. I'm still waiting for Jordan to send me his like clone or brother friends in LA. Oh, he's going to start a Hello. training program for men. Good. <laughs> so, well, I like him because he's a rock star. So for any of you who are like, he all is. men suck, you know, there are really, really good ones out there who get it. It's just, they're an emergent mm-hmm. breed. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, I think that's right. Right. And I think it takes something for a man to, it's the problem is that masculinity has been defined for so long on provider status and dominance, right. That, but, and not, not dominance and control in like necessarily a negative way, but yes, it has its toxic sort of counterparts. But I think that the way that we've defined masculinity has been so limited that so few men really genuinely fit into it. And so many men aspire to and try to, but, you know, I think men like Jordan have just recreated it, right? They've just, they just define it in a different way that works so much better for them and for their ability to be in partnership with women. Yeah. I mean, because we feel alive and we feel free, we don't feel like we have to be contained. He and I have a very, very honest relationship. Like I was at a conference a few years ago and I got, I drank way too much wine and I kissed a guy and I Mm. came home and he was like upset for like a day, but then he was like, you know what? I don't own you. I don't control you. I understand these things happen. And, you know, he has his versions of that. And as a result, we're not hiding anything. We're not trying to suppress anything about us. And, and it's really like a feeling of aliveness that I'm so grateful for. That's so great. I'm so happy for you It's guys. cool. And I want to, I, I, I want to like spread it far and wide just so that people know that it's possible. Yes. And, I, uh, I agree. Mm-hmm. And, and not to be like, I have an awesome relationship, which I am really, really proud of. Cause I've never had one of those before, <laughs> but um, it's the first time in my life. Yeah. But it, it's like, I don't see a lot of models for this and I really want to bring it out so that people know that it's what's possible. I, I think that's great. I really do. I think that's so important. And I'm thrilled. I'm, I just, I love you guys. Let's, um, let's go back. Let's go back to money. How did you, you, you mentioned your divorce and how you sort of recreated your mom's story. How, what did that look like? Well, you know, it, it was more like I, um, I married, I thought I was marrying for what I wanted. I was marrying to create the life that I thought I was supposed to have. And in the meantime, gave up a lot of control and stability and put a lot of, I mean, no, that was also my fault though. It's, I recreated it in that I ended up divorced and broke when I was like, my whole life is to not be that. Um, And we could psychoanalyze that. Right. Right. What we resist. Yeah. Why we resist persists. Right. It's just 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 a reminder of how powerful these social norms are and what they can do to you. Even when you're think you're totally conscious of them, they can still run ravage on your life. Totally. Okay. So, so what advice, I think we, we sort of covered this, but we could probably uh, advice would you give to women at this point? Like the women, you know, you're in my Facebook group, you see these women's stories. Well, so we, we covered some of the advice. Here's, here's what to do next. Once you're like, okay, I've, I understand that I am in transition from one mentality to another, and there's a lot of noise and it's not my fault because I became who I was supposed to be. And then you develop your self-worth and then you figure out how not to spend everything that goes into your account. Like don't throw all your money at debt, just pay like double the minimum and, and don't, 
And if you add more, pay that, but don't keep develop the muscle for cash. At that point, what the, the next level is to get an under, we all think that if we earn a good income, we will have money. Earning actually does not dictate how much money you have. It's your net worth. So your net worth is how much, what you own. Do you own a car? Do you own a house? Do you own any sort of investment portfolio minus what you owe? What's your mortgage? What's your student loans? What's your credit card, et cetera. The plus minus that is, is a number. First, you want to get that number to zero if, you're, if you have negative net worth. And the way you get that to negative net worth is really by becoming an expert in building cash savings because that's the only thing that protects you from going further into debt. The next thing that you need mm-hmm. to understand is a lot of investments that you think are investments like a house aren't actually positive ROI. I rent too by choice. We live in this gorgeous house here in Philadelphia and it is a way bigger house than we could afford if we were to purchase something because the owners fix the roof, fix the garbage disposal, fix the, all the things. And so it doesn't matter right. that you own us. What matters is that your net worth is growing. So if you're putting more into savings or you're putting more into your retirement account because it's cheaper to rent, absolutely rent. Yeah. There's a myth about people, people say, I want you to keep going, but I just also like people say like renting is just throwing money, flushing money down the toilet every month. It's not true and like, at all. It's not true. Because when it comes to real estate taxes and the cost of repairs and how, and let's say you have a 30 year mortgage as opposed to a 15 year mortgage, the amount of interest you're paying on your house, like the actual cost of the house, you're paying mm-hmm. half of your mortgage payment or whatever, or, or what your total carrying cost is, is also being thrown away. And the asset itself may not be appreciating in value. So the only right. way to really make a house have positive ROI is if you get a 15 year mortgage and you stay in that house for at least 10 years. If you're going to, if you can only afford a 30 year mortgage and you're not going to be a house for less than 10 years, it's not going to, it's not, it's not an investment. It's actually a real pain in the butt to take care of a house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my mom first bought her house and I, I got out of my house because I knew I couldn't afford it. When I got divorced, there was no way I was going to be able to afford the mortgage and then all the upkeep and everything. And I remember my mom moved here, she bought her first house and within four months, the entire Mm -hmm. sewer line backed up from the street all the way into her house. And it cost her like $15,000. And I was like, if, if that had happened to me, I would probably be on the street or never have working sewage. (laughs) Like I wouldn't have been able to have done it. I would not have been able to fix that. There's always those things. There's always like boiler breaks Uh to replace all the windows. And there's, these are tens of thousands of dollars every single year of work that you have to do on your house. So in fact, yes. renting yes. in many ways is, especially if you're in a period of transition, is the right thing to do. Do not go rushing into buying a house. Yes. Yes. And especially if you live in somewhere like where I live, like I live in Los Angeles, like the real estate market is yeah. insane. It's right. insane. Like I can't, there's no way I could afford to buy a house. I would have to move like really, really, really far away. <laughs> and that would be. So don't, don't feel bad about that. No, you know? I don't. I don't. But thank you for confirming. Okay, your net worth. Yes. And pat yourself on the head and go, can I get myself closer to not having more debt than I have in assets? And then how do I really develop that savings muscle so that I don't go back into debt? That's great. I love that. No, it's a great roadmap. It's a great roadmap. And it's so contrary to what people tell us normally, right? It's like, I know. Well, that was why I wrote my book worth it is because, you know, I never aspired to write a book. I was really happy with like sending out a daily email to a million women every day. But what I found was 
over the years of running Daily Worth that all the financial advice that exists out there, including like you should never have debt, you know, pay it all down as quickly as possible, doesn't actually work. And so the reason I wrote my book was because as someone who built a financial media company learning alongside my readers, I I was able to really identify how the, the financial advice machine that exists today that everybody seems to follow doesn't actually work. Mm-hmm. And so the book is really all the things that I witnessed on the ground, both for myself and for our readers actually did work. And a lot of people, you know, still challenge some of my core ideas, but I'll fight them to the, to the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I kind of interrupted you on that house thing and like renting. Was there, was there more that you were going to? No, I was just going to talk about investing. If yeah. you wanted to spend like a few minutes on investing. Yeah, I do. Okay, cool. Yeah, I do. Cause cool. I, I want to learn. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to make this so easy for you. Good. Okay. Great. Ready? Yeah. So for, for all of history, we're in a strange time right now. The stock market has always gone up decade over decade. It doesn't go up year over year. And the most important thing to learn in terms of investing is for the long-term, not for the short-term until yeah. you really start to understand the long-term. And the only thing that really matters for the long-term is your retirement account and college savings accounts, if you have them for children. There's two ways to invest for your retirement. The, what, the first way is what's called active investing. And the second way is what's called passive investing. Have you ever heard about this? No. Okay. Oh no. my God. I'm I so mean, I, I know about IRAs and stuff, but I don't know about active and passive. I don't know. So an IRA is a type of account, like a retirement account, right? It's how it gets taxed and it's how it's restricts you on like removing it from it. Active and passive applies to pretty much any form of investing, even real estate investing. All it essentially means if you're active investing, you're cho- if you're an active investor, you're choosing your stocks. Oh, you're I see. choosing your funds. You're doing it. If you're a passive investor, you're investing in like Vanguard or Betterment, where it's a huge diversified pool of mutual funds. 99% of you should consider learning about passive investing because you don't have to become an expert. You just have to you just have to choose an investment services provider like Vanguard or Betterment are two that you can go look at. Vanguard is like big, big behemoth. Betterment is the like the dot com version of Vanguard, and they're both equally great. And um, I, I have my whopping gazillions of dollars, not at a betterment. And, um, and that's the, and what you have to understand is that the, the, your money grows year over, it grows decade over decade and that, and it, you have to invest some of your savings for your retirement. Otherwise you're going to have a lot of trouble not working until we die, which is a big fear for lots of us. And, uh, and that's, that's really, I, I want to take the fear away of investing and just, you know, make sure just understand diversification and risk. And that's, that's really all you have to understand. Right. Okay. Those are the, those are basic things that I actually do understand. Um, I just hadn't heard those terms of passive and active. So yes, that, those are things that I do understand. (laughs) It's like the stock market that I don't, I mean, I understand it, but my God, it feels like a full-time job, right? Which you know, it, it just so for a few years, I ran investment advisory for women. And what I was kind of like shocked with when we would get their portfolios from like Raymond James or wherever they were coming from, I would find that they weren't, they were just had like three stocks. They weren't diversified or they were in all equities and they had no bonds. And so it's like, you don't have to understand investing, but you do have to be able to look at your portfolio and say, that's heavily diversified. 
Otherwise, you could lose a lot of your money. And some of these companies charge you like 3% if you try and move to another. They do all these really nasty things to keep you where they are in undiversified high-risk portfolios because that's where they make more money, mm. regardless of whether your perf- portfolio performs or not. So that's the um, diversification. Hold on. So would you recommend that, you know, when, when we're dealing with net worth, right. And you're kind of sort of getting, you want, you want to get to that zero, right. Is that when you start investing and looking at, or, or do you take some of the money that you might put say towards debt and also invest? Like, is there a timeline that you recommend? There's there's no perfect answer for this. I mean, if you were a robot, I could give you the robot version, but we're emotional beings and that's not really how it works. In addition, for retirement investing, you if you have an employer match or there's tax benefits, there are benefits to doing that. What's most important is that you build, what's more important than either paying down debt or investing is building up cash savings. That's the first important part. Then you want to limit your really expensive debt as much as possible. Your mortgage, you're paying, I don't know, three and a half, four percent That's not really expense. That's, you can just, just pay, don't try and pay that off faster unless you like feel like you want to, and you can. If you have credit card debt that, you're, that you can't transfer to a zero interest card, there's no point in saving for retirement until you pay down that credit card debt and build some cash savings. Otherwise, whatever advances you make in the market, you're still going to owe. So it doesn't actually advance your financial security. Right. right. It's, it's like you're earning 3%, but you're paying out 20%. That's not a, that's not a net gain for you, <laughs> right? Right. Exactly. It's not a net gain for you. And the cost of that debt is accelerating. And so you really have to have that handled. But that being said, we're all, many of us are afraid of what retirement is going to be like, or if we'll ever even know what retirement even feels like. And so if it makes you feel better to open up an account at betterment.com and start putting $100 into a diversified portfolio so that you can learn and you can see that money grow and know that you can't take it out, then absolutely do that. Just don't do it to the extent that you're really not allowing yourself to pay off debt once you're able to. Smart, 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 smart. So, okay. I don't know. I feel like we've covered so much. Income? Should we talk about earning? Yeah, let's getting yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Earning an income these days, it's like I'm it's really worrisome that starting your side hustle, doing a version of what you and I do is is, is so glamorous because for a lot of what are you talking? Look at us, Amanda. We are so glamorous. I know we're so we're so glamorous. <laughs> we're like living the life. It is freaking hard. You have to manage your own quarterly taxes, which is like terrifying. If you don't, if you don't know how to run a business, you will have many, many bad months that could put you deep, 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 deep in debt. Mm-hmm. There is something about getting a job, as boring as it is, and having benefits and stability and a stable paycheck. Start your side thing on the side. You can do that thing, but do not start a business if you've never started a business solely to support yourself without some sort of side, what I call a bridge job. Yes, I, I cannot confirm this strongly enough because I did the opposite <laughs> and it was awful. It took me probably 10 years. It took almost 10, probably like seven or eight years to build my business to where it is now or not yeah. now. I mean, it's taken me 10, 12 years, right? And and Amanda, you and I have known each other for a number of years and you saw it when it was in the beginning and like things were not good. And I went into so much debt for so many years trying to build this business that I have so much love and passion about. 
And I had a bunch of side hustles and a bunch of other jobs. And it was, it was just a nightmare. And I got to tell you, had I just gone and gotten a fucking job, <laughs> it would have been a lot. Well, yeah. they're not mutually exclusive. Like I've right. learned this the hard right. way too. I worked on a presidential campaign two <laughs> years ago. And after that ended, I started my new business, which is called Hire You. And I had a job that I was doing invoicing for a corporation and it paid me like 10 grand a month, you know, and I did that for nine months as I built, and I know what I'm doing, but I never, ever start a business because businesses require cash. Like I've never really launched a business without spending at least like $25,000 on like, you know, your initial platform and your advertising and getting it to where it needs to go. And you can't take a salary out of a new business. It needs the money in order to become something real that people know about. Yep. Can confirm. So that's the, but there's so much glamour on like, everyone wants to have like the online course program and stuff, you know, yeah, laptop lifestyle. And like, and there's all these people who like, are like, yeah, I had my first hundred thousand dollar month. And I want to be like, but how much of that did you actually keep? How much did you spend on ads to get there? How many months did you have where you didn't have that? And I'm not busting up people's hundred K months. I'm like super freaking excited, but it's not the whole story, but it's being sold to a lot of women as the whole story. And I think it's the most, one of the most dangerous things for women's financial independence. I could not agree more. Um, yeah, we do not fall prey and, um, to the the myth of the you know what our our friend Kelly calls the the female lifestyle empowerment brand right there's you're yes. being which you and I are both guilty of running to some to extent. some extent but yeah. I think we're also both very yeah. conscious to not like I don't I don't sell my lifestyle like you guys would be right. really sad you know <laughs> I don't live in a loft in Tribeca and I'm not like super skinny and I'm not like, like none of those things. I do not sell a lifestyle. I sell empowerment and answers and right. And this is actually p- part of why it took me so long to build my business. Cause I wasn't selling joy and happiness and rainbows and unicorns. I'm selling something really fucking difficult. This mm-hmm. is, these are conversations that you and I had a few years ago, like sell quote selling. I'm not selling anything, right? I am asking women, I want women to be happy and fulfilled, but like the, should I stay or should I go conversation? Isn't one that like, I'm not selling love or. (laughs) No, I know. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to bucket us in this category, but to an outsider, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it seems like you are influential. You are in the spotlight. You are, you do have thousands of amazing women and you are a model of entrepreneurial success. And there is a machine around us that promotes that anyone can do that. And I'm saying, yes, it's totally possible for you to do that, but don't put your eggs in that basket if you haven't done it before, because there is a dark side that no one talks about. It's really fucking hard. It's really fucking hard. And it costs a lot of money and a lot of time. So, so by all means, get a job (laughs) while you build the thing that you're super passionate about. Right. I just want to, you know, express my like, deep sympathy, empathy, whatever that feeling is for all the women who are listening right now and her in your Facebook group and just acknowledge that it's really, really hard what you are going through because you're dealing not only with financial pressure, but with a level of anxiety around a relationship that's gone sour and you have to deal with all the personality disorders and all that other stuff. And I I just want to let you know that there's a new you that is going to emerge from all of this. And you're not, it's not necessarily going to be fun, Yeah. but the reason why you can't see what your life is going to look like on the other side is because there's aspects of you that are going to emerge that you don't believe are there, but they are there. 
And that's what I saw in my mother at a young age. And what I, my divorce was like a happy time for me because I wanted to, I needed, I needed my, all of me to emerge and it was crushed. But so for those of you who are like in a really, really dark place, I would say, I see you. I understand like you've been doing everything the way you thought you should. And you don't understand how you ended up in this like cluster of, you know, mess you are not going to be the one on the other side, a whole new part of you. And I hope that it's like invigorating once you finally get there, just stay along for the ride and see what emerges. Cause you're allowed, you have permission to become anything that you want to become. It's like you get to now reinvent yourself. So beautiful, Amanda. And I can, I can confirm that that is entirely true. It was for me. And I, and I always want to point out that like, if you're comparing yourself to me or Amanda now, right. Know that we were, exactly where you are. We literally were. And I don't, I don't say that, oh, you know, anyone can do it or, or I was exactly where you are. I was literally exactly where you are. And I think Amanda was too. And we've worked really hard to get to where we are now, but all of that work is available to all of you. And I love that you said like, there's a new you waiting to emerge. And it's, that's, that's gorgeous. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's fun. It's like, I remember when my, when my mom finally awakened, probably when I was around 11 or 12, we would just like turn up the music and like dance on the dining room table. It was like, she became alive again. And that's what happened. You know, you go through these like periods and don't know how long we were going to, but then when you finally say F it and you just like choose to become the person that you are, I know I sound like a really cheesy Hallmark (laughs) card right now. You are going to feel a level of freedom where who cares how much debt you have? Like, like whatever, like everyone has so much debt <laughs> right now. Like who cares? What's possible on the other side of this is you get, you are the only one who gets to define who you are and what your life is. And you don't have to be anything for anyone that you don't want to be. Gorgeous. Thank you so much, Amanda. Where can people find you? You can find me everywhere. So I'm Amanda Steinberg, Google me, and you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can find my new website, hireyou.com, where I teach movement builders. Um, you can find me. Uh, yeah, just Google it'll, me. It's it'll, it'll all be in the show notes. So, but yes, or, or Google. Thank you so much, Amanda. I, oh, and you can find me in your group too. I'm there lurking and commenting. Oh, that's right. Time. That's right. You can, <laughs> that's right. Just tag her in the group. Thank you so much, darling. I so appreciate you. And I'm so grateful to have you in my orbit. Me too. I'm so proud to watch what you've built. It's really extraordinary and so needed by so many Thank women. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.